know that because if you look in verse 14, it says the word became flesh, which is a reference to Jesus coming the first Christmas. But before John even gets to, to Jesus, uh, Jesus in the Bible, those opening words might remind us of somewhere else in the Bible. Because the words in the beginning are the opening words to the whole Bible. That's how Genesis opens. And John is taking our minds way back there, right back then, before anything else existed. And he's saying, before there was anything, there was Jesus. John is saying that before there was a single atom, a single particle, a proton, Jesus was always there. Jesus was with God, and he was God. So if you, if you think about this now, I really want to get our heads around this. If you look back at this, what's the time? It's just before half past five. On, what's the, is it the 18th today? 18th of February, 2024. You would be able to say that I, Clover, was here being Clover at this point in time. I'm definitely here. We're all sure of that. I'm sure I'm me. You're sure I'm me, and I'm here. But let's do this. Uh, Questy, you've not finished the evening. Come and join me up here a sec. <laughs> now, if you just stand just here and face me. Yeah. Now, I am now with Questy at the front, right? We are with one another. So I'm now with Questy. That's 100% true. But I'm not Questy, right? I'm with him, but I'm not him. You can't say that I was him. You can say I'm only with him. Take a seat. Thank you. Now, the mind-bending thing about Jesus is what he says. It's a was and a with. Do you see that? It is both. He's both the one God. He was God. And he's the son, not the father. So he's with God. Now, there's no way a human mind can fully understand that. But, of course, our call is to believe the word of God. And if we read on, we very shortly find there's actually a third person here. There's the Spirit. Three persons, one God, an eternal trinity. Now, remember, we don't believe in three gods who always agree with one another. Be very careful about uh, straying into what's called tritheism. The idea that there's three gods because we find that easier to understand. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Lord our God is one. But we believe in the three in one. Always remember, always remember, God can be what you and I can't understand. Because he's God and we're not. We call him God for a reason. We worship him for a reason. He's the infinite, inexhaustibly glorious God. And we know that's what John means, that he really is saying that Jesus is God, the always existing. We know that because of verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. I want to be very clear here. It doesn't say that God made Jesus first, and then Jesus made everything. It doesn't say that. We have to take what it says seriously. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So that's everything absolutely literally everything that isn't God was made by Jesus. Because way back before anything existed, no matter how far back you go, you cannot go so far back that Jesus isn't there. He was God then and he is God today. Now you may know um, 
from having them come to your door, the Jehovah's Witnesses have a big problem with this. Now, if, if, if you look at their um, version of the Bible, uh, the New World Translation, they put an a ah into verse 1. So this is the word was a God. But even that aside, I looked on their, their website, and it says this, Jesus is the only one directly created by God. Jesus is also the only one whom God used when he created all other things. Now, that's not right, but I thought I would look it up in their version of the Bible. What do they say, John says? Do you know what it says this? This is John 3, sorry, John 1 verse 3 in the New World Translation. All things came into existence through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into existence. Now, that's completely incompatible with saying that Jesus is the only one directly created by God. They forgot to change that verse in John, it appears. Because their Bible literally says not one thing came into existence without Jesus. Not one thing. Jesus is uncreated, and even their Bible teaches that. Now, one day they're going to pick up on that and change it, but they haven't yet. <laughs> now, what, what we, we might, though, still wonder, why does he call in the Word? Wouldn't it be a lot easier to say, in the beginning was Jesus? Wouldn't that be a lot more straightforward? Now, there are all kinds of reasons why John may have used that word, but there are two that I think are really important. The first is, in the Bible story, when it tells the story of reality, Jesus takes on the name Jesus when he becomes a man. He's not referred to Jesus before that. He's named that when he's born. But the second one, and I think this is very important, God's words are powerful. God's words are never mere words. God always speaks truth. He creates in Genesis simply by speaking. He reveals himself then and he reveals himself today through his word. And the ultimate revelation of who God is, the ultimate way we know who God is, is by looking and listening to Jesus. And I think the word captures, or, or the phrase the word captures even more than this. Hopefully these words uh, will help. Uh, this is from Colossians. Uh, where the Apostle Paul writes, the Son, again a name for Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And I think if we then hold what Paul teaches us in Colossians and what John is saying together, that can help us get a clearer picture of what's going on. It's particularly what I want us to see is where Paul writes, for in him all things were created, exactly what John says, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or riches, absolutely everything, all things have been created through him. And then he adds this, and for him. Jesus is the one, he is the word, he is the one who makes sense of reality. He is the key at the centre of existence. John and Paul are saying the same thing. What lies at the centre of reality? What binds everything together? What makes sense of absolutely everything? What is the purpose of anything? Jesus is the answer to all those questions. That is why we are here, which means we can personalise this. What is at the centre of me? Why do I exist? What will make sense of my life and my existence? The answer is he does. He does. 
I exist, you exist on purpose because of Jesus. We are not coincidences. You are part of what the one who has always existed decided to make. That is the source of your dignity, your purpose, and your meaning. Jesus didn't just find you and decide to work with you. He made you from scratch. You exist at this time, in this moment, in this place, because he willed it. The answer to you is he alone can complete you. And by calling him the word, Jesus isn't just saying, uh, John isn't just saying Jesus gives information. He's saying he gives reason. He gives identity. He gives purpose. He gives understanding. Now, don't misunderstand me. He is saying that Jesus is God. But he's asserting a whole lot more than that. He's saying there's no blind watchmaker. There's no disinterested days. And there's no God who's just watching us on CCTV from somewhere behind, the, behind Orion or something. He's saying the universe, the planet of reality, orbits around Jesus. And any other understanding is wrong. Because it turns out that underneath everything, underneath the very fabric of reality, is a person of such grace and truth that we can go all in on him. See, he can make sense of what we cannot. And even when we can't see the sense of life, we can know him and trust. He is the word. He is at the centre of reality, and two, he is the light. In him was light, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John's been speaking about creation first, but now he moves on in the story here, because light and darkness are not simply physical realities, they're spiritual ones in the Bible. Following the fall, we collectively turn our backs on God, We walk straight into thick darkness and we cannot penetrate it ourselves. Darkness that leaves us separated from God and under his judgment. Darkness that leaves us in spiritual confusion and moral chaos. And that's our baseline problem. Where Jesus belongs at the centre of everything, we put all sorts of other things. We try and stand reality on a different foundation and that doesn't work. That's like building on sand. The one thing, the one thing that fits at the centre, the only thing that fits at the centre is Jesus. And look carefully at what it says. These are really important words. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, do you see, do you see the claim there? Jesus is the light of all mankind. Everyone ever, Jesus has always been light and life to them. Now, how can that be when Jesus didn't come until the first Christmas? Well, because Jesus is God, and the Bible is clear that God has revealed himself to everyone without exception, first through creation and then through conscience. We can see the hand of God in the world around us, and we can hear the word of God in our hearts. Everyone knows for sure they do things that are wrong and shameful. Now, the book of Romans puts it like this. This is from Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, when he says suppress the truth, that's like John saying they haven't overcome 
the darkness. We try to suppress it. We try to ignore it. We say stuff like, I see no evidence for God. It doesn't work. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And then Paul goes on in chapter 2 to say this, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, as in they know the right way to live and they do it by what appears to be instinct, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness. John is saying that we have that awareness. We can try and minimise it, we can try and ignore it. But that is the work of Jesus, he is the light of all. And whilst the conflict is ongoing, it isn't even, is it? You walk into a darkened room and you turn on a torch, which gives way, the light or the dark picture there of what Jesus does, the darkness will not ever overcome him. So just to go over it, John, the writer of this, has taken us from eternity past, where Jesus always was. You could keep going back in eternity forever. You will never find a point where Jesus was not. Then you arrive at the start of creation. He is the one who made the very light and the dark. He made all things. And he's the one who, from that time that we fell, has been speaking into the spiritual darkness to call everyone to turn back to their God. And now, John takes us again on in the story to the very first Christmas. Uh, John the writer, now remember this, don't get confused with all the Johns. John the writer, that's the apostle, tells us about John the Baptist. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. And he testified, what did he testify? Verse 15 tells us. John testified concerning him, he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now just a bit of backstory in case you don't know it as to what John means. John's saying in earthly terms, he's the older one, by about six months. Born about six months before Jesus. So normally, you would say that John came before Jesus, because he was born first. I have an older brother, I would say he came before me. But John turns that upside down, because he's saying Jesus is greater than him because he was before me. It doesn't simply say he will become greater than me. He says he was before me. Now, how can that be when, when by God's providence, there's a six-month age gap? Well, it's because of what we've just seen. Jesus is greater than John, because although he was born six months after him, he always was. He'd always been there. There was never a time, not in all creation, where Jesus was not, and John knew it. And because of who he is, no ordinary man, not just an extraordinary man, but because he's the word, because he's the one who made all things, because he's at the centre of reality, because of all those things, he can be light. He's not a light. He's not one of the many options of light we have. He is the only light. What you don't see in the light of Jesus, you do not see at all. All there is outside Jesus is a different selection of darks. 
It's as simple as that. He's not just information. It's not knowing about Jesus that helps any of us. It's actually knowing him. He's light in his life. And when his light shines in us, we come out of the dark, out of our alienation from God, out of our separation from him, and into light and life. We all need to remember that. Jesus is not a series of facts to agree with. He is a God to be worshipped and adored, a saviour to know, who comes to transform your every days, to walk with you every day on that journey till you make it home and see him. He's the word and he's the light. And finally, three, he's the incarnate. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, we don't have time to dwell in here for for too long. But John is saying the word, the one who was with and was God, the one who is the centre of the universe, that one, he became flesh. He took on human nature. Now, some people think that Jesus was just a great man. Um, Maybe someone unique, maybe someone really special. Um, But there was a time after he lived uh, when people made him God. Where after his life, this kind of rumour built up and people started believing that Jesus was God and then it's got passed down over the centuries and essentially people made Jesus God. John's saying that's entirely back to front. It happened the other way. The eternal God became a man. He didn't just look like a man, didn't appear to be a man. He became, he was made one. That's the incarnation. The eternal word became mortal flesh. He added a human nature to his eternal one. The incarnation is an act of addition of a human body, not a subtraction. And John is saying that he and others actually saw this. They saw the wonder of God in the flesh. Now, they'd been taught about God growing up. They knew exactly who God is. And they realized he was there in front of them. They walked with him, they talked with him, they ate with him, they saw his power, they all heard his words, and they saw that he brimmed with grace and truth. Truth because we're in darkness, grace because he could pull us from it. See, Jesus is the word, he is God, the epicenter of reality, he's the light, and seeing that light brings life to us as we get restored to relationship with our creator. And he's the incarnate. He's God in the flesh. You want to know who God is, you have to look at Jesus. The word, the light, the incarnate. And for all those reasons, we come to adore him. But we're not quite done yet. Because if you read John's gospel and you know it, perhaps you know that he's very clear why he wrote a gospel at all. Towards the end of the book, he writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you, that you, may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is truth that's meant to change something. It's meant to change our lives now and for all eternity. So bearing that in mind, John here in his introduction gives us two reasons why we need Jesus. And the first is because he has unique 
power. He and he alone has the power to give us what we really need. John writes, out of his fullness, out of all that he is, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now that might sound a bit odd, but basically just saying God had an unfolding plan. A plan to rescue us from dark and rebellion. On a stage in that plan was to give Moses the law, the sacrificial system and the rest. And those things point us to Jesus. And now Jesus has come and he fulfills all that and he's assigned to that. And the fullness of grace, all the grace we'll ever need is in him. What was pointed to and prophesied in the Old Testament has come. And this is the bit we need. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, that word came, there, uh, came through Jesus Christ, is the same word used in verse 3 for made. John is saying, and this is stunning, that the creator, when Jesus came, stepped into creation and made something new. And what was that he made? He made grace for you and for me. And what that looks like, he spells out in the rest of his book. It's what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the rescue mission of the cross. And that rescue, the point of it all, had at its centre uh, right at the, the start of John's opening. If you've got it there, look at verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He ended up being rejected and crucified, didn't he? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, that he's the word, that he's God, that he's Jesus Christ, that he's light, that he's the saviour king. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, that's coming from the right race or family, nor of human decision or a husband's will, not because we decided to do it, but born of God. Jesus was born so that you could join his family and have a seat at the wedding feast, at the end of time. Through Jesus, we can be born again, born anew, born above, born of the family of God. We can become the men and women we were designed and created to be, living in good relationship with our creator and with one another. Which means our lives are finally aligning with reality. Jesus at the centre us increasingly taking on his likeness as we are designed to be. And it's all by grace. We have all received grace, meaning it's free to us and costly to Jesus. See, he does that, doesn't he? He does a swap. That's what happens at Calvary. He takes our death and he gives us his life. And we become clean, holy, and you don't have to know much about Jesus to know it would be amazing to have his reputation. Even people who don't really know who Jesus is seem to think he's pretty awesome. What actually happens by faith is that all the dishonour we've got is taken from us and put on Jesus. And his righteousness and his reputation is given to us. And it's all by grace. And we must listen to this. God put it down here in the Bible in black and white so we would hear his voice this evening. Verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become children of God. There's no exceptions policy there. Do you see that? That's what the word all means. Jesus paid for all of us. There are no exceptions. You receive him. Whatever you have done before, whatever life you have lived, you believe in his name and you become the child of God. It's as simple as that. He will give light and life to the full. There is no one second class in the family of God. Because of who he is, he has unique power, power that we need. And second, because of who he is, he has unique authority. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, what I'm about to try and explain, I can't explain very clearly because it makes my head hurt, but I'm going to give it a go because it's important. God didn't make everything easy to understand, but he does want us to wonder, and I think this is one of those things. For us to see God requires eyes, right? And, and in the new heavens and the new earth, with my new resurrection body, I will see Jesus, but with my eyes. And, and I will hear his voice with my ears, and, and so forth. And that's because there's creation, and then outside creation, there's God. And I will always be part of creation. I can't break the barrier to the uncreated side of that order, because I need my eyes to see God, I need my ears to hear him. I need my mind to think about him. God will, in his remarkable generosity, manifest himself to us eternally. We might enjoy him. But what John is saying here is Jesus didn't need that. He's seen God in the ultimate sense. He didn't need to be given eyes and ears to see and know God. He always knew him. He didn't need a mouth to speak to God. Didn't need a brain to think about him. He was always in that perfect relationship with him. And he did what we couldn't. He came from outside creation into it. That's the incarnation to do what we couldn't, which is to put us right with God. That's what he's done for us. Now, why he should love us like that, I cannot say. But he does. And that uniqueness means we can trust him. We can believe in his name. We can believe in every promise he has made. Because he has a unique role. Because he is a unique person. And remember, this is all in the present tense, right? He has the power. He has the authority. Jesus isn't a what. He was in the beginning. But he still is and always will be. And this evening, he calls you and I to come to him and remember all that he is with wonder and with joy. We become his children so we can look forward to that wedding and enjoy the journey with him, where whatever the trials, he is with us and we can trust him. He makes sense of you. He makes sense of everyone you know and everyone who will ever be. Such is his majesty and his glory. The word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Amen.